The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. All right, tons of people take a multivitamin, and it's important to choose one that's top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially during cold and flu season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a, a million different pills and, and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. That's a difficult sentence to read. I'm not going to lie. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash sports drink. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash sports drink to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. You are listening to the Bird Calls on the Sports Drink Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. All right, what's up, Fells fans? Welcome to another episode of The Bird Calls podcast. I am your host, Preston Ellis, and who would have thought we'd ever be here? This 2021-2022 Pelicans ball club that started out 1-12, no Zion for the entire year. I think we lost BI for like 25 to 27 games. Now, bound for the playoffs and will host at least two home games in the blender for the first time in four years. To help us discuss this and more, editor-in-chief to The Bird Rights and the man who doesn't care about your bedtime, Mr. Ali Cosell. What's up, Ali? It's good to have you hosting, buddy. Thanks for staying up late. <laughs> You're welcome. Anybody who doesn't know, I've got a two-year-old, and uh, I guess I can say it now. I don't, I don't think any of my family listens to Well, most of my family knows, but we are uh, 12 weeks pregnant with our second. Huh? Congratulations. Congratulations. I know. I know. I know. So thanks for sharing this moment. Uh, You're for me. a man. <laughs> so I'm going to have two. Fish, I wish Fish was here because Fish told me the ultimate lie when we first got pregnant. He was like, You're going to have so much more time for podcasting and writing because you're never going to sleep. And it's 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 just the opposite. I never have any energy. Anyway, next up, you heard his voice. He's on ESPN. Uh, you can read his work at Pelican Scoop, hear him on the radio or his podcast, Hard in the Paint. Mr. David Grubb, are you back to 100%? I'm I'm at about 94%. There's still a little bit of ways to go, but I'm good. I'm ready to play. Nice. And the man who knows every reputable restaurant in town, a uh, proud dog dad and an artist who uh, even listed his rate on Twitter the other day, Mr. Kevin Berrios. What's up, Kevin? Oh, hey, how are you doing? I am good. Yeah, I also just revamped my giant spreadsheet of restaurants. So there you go. You're welcome. So anybody hit Kevin on the DM. I remember one time he texted me a list of like 30 of his favorite restaurants that he just like had. Um, so hit him up if you want to know where to eat. Mother's uh, isn't 20... on that list. <laughs> what is it? Mother's Port-a-call? isn't on that list. Not, oh, no. My is on the list, but not mother. It's just, it's from, but... during the final four. I'm sorry, President. But like during the final four, there was all these out of towners who kept posting how awesome Mother's was. And it just drove us nuts. Yeah. Well, give us give us the deal real fast, Kevin. What what why is mothers overhyped? 
Uh, it's just really average diner food. Their specialty is is boiled ham. So there you go. And there's a line for like about an hour to get inside. I don't know why we would wait to move there. And there's so much great food in the city, but that's just me. So if you want to know, yeah, if somebody uh, so is work- looking for something like Mother's, where would you advise they go? A gas station. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, oh no! I mean, a lot of gas stations here have great po' boys. Right. So. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not being like. Like I. I would go to a gas station to get a po' boy. At a lot of places, there are a lot of gas stations in New Orleans that I would go get a po' boy. What about a legitimate restaurant, Kevin? Give Give somebody a shout out. Okay, I'll give. Because I, I work in this general area and I live in this area and I think it's a little bit of an undiscovered gym, though it's uh, sort of being uh, noticed more and more lately is Maypop. It's my favorite uh, restaurant that I can walk to. Uh, the concept is Mississippi Delta meets Mekong Delta. So it's Southeast Asian Cajun Creole fusion, very inventive menu, James Beard uh, nominated chef. Uh, it's sort of a, like it's the same group that owns MoFA. And it's uh, a bit of a more of an adventurous menu and a little bit more of a it's not like fine dining, but it's like a nicer restaurant than um, than MoFA in terms of ambiance. Um, and uh, I don't know, it's it's pretty great. And I think you should check it out. I'm just tickled. They are not a sponsor. I promise you. We're like five minutes into this podcast already. And we haven't talked about the playoffs yet. Uh, let's let's dive on in now. Or the big Pelicans win. Come on, press. Twenty eight point swing. Nine minutes of game action. Uh, Fifteen point lead converted into a thirteen point deficit. Uh, then with that gap at ten heading into the fourth, Willie Green gave probably the most iconic Pelican speech uh, we've heard at this point. Grub, what was your reaction to the "You've Got to Fight" speech? It was elemental. You know, there it. At some point, competition has nothing to do, and uh, with you know, with what you're diagramming or what your adjustment is. And Willie Green talked about this, and um, and there's a I have a piece up on um, Pelican Scoop on SI. You can go check it out it's about the defense. But it talked about Willie Green's first press conference, and one of the things that he said then was, "There's a lot of people who can teach you X's and O's." He says, "But my thing is." I know how to communicate with people in, the, in, in those big moments. And I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he talked about on day one was that there was going to come these moments where you had to reach your guys. And there was nothing on uh, the, the, the dry erase board that you could tell them or show them that was going to get them through that moment. It was about what they had inside them, what they were capable of as professional basketball players, as competitors in that moment. And that's what he went for. That's what he tapped into that part of them that got them playing basketball in the first place. And that I think reminded them because, you know, I think I tweeted that at one point I said, this is just an effort thing right now. The Clippers were beating the Pelicans at the things the Pelicans did well in the first half. And then they stopped doing them and Willie hit them in the mouth with that moment and things changed. And it's not that simple. But it is, in in a lot of ways, it actually is that simple. Thanks, well said. And and I think we can go around the horn on this one uh, because it it was such a fiery speech, and you saw the guys immediately came out and responded, Ali. Uh, Although um, the Clippers did get the next three points, and it became a 13-point deficit, from there on out, it was all the Pelicans. Talk about the change. Was was it just a lineup? Was, Was it the reinvigoration from Willie Green? What about this team got them so honed in in those final 10 minutes? Well, I... 
completely attributed to Willie Green's speech and then getting the rotations right. I think they you can't have one without the other for the Pelicans to win that game. Good thing, though, was that Brandon Ingram got to such a harsh, uh, hot start, right? I think he made nine of his first ten, really set the tone, or at least the, the Pelicans tried to, and he was the one, right? CJ made, I know, a couple of buckets. There were some other good things that had happened, but basically, boy, B.I. just went wherever he wanted to, pulled up from whenever he wanted to, made some really even tough mid-range jumpers, right, with hands in his face, but didn't matter. He was in such a zone. So I think he was able to feed off that in the fourth because he was part of uh, – what got the ball rolling, right? After the Suns scored the first three points of the fourth quarter, then uh, the Pels went on like a 6-0 or 8-0 run. Well, it was a 6-0 run, then the Lakers or Clippers called a timeout. <laughs> Might as well be the Lakers, right? All LA teams, the Pels have disposed of. But yeah, Brandon was a big part of that initial uh, boost, right? That initial push. And without it, Pelicans don't win. But it's, it's the lineups, really. I think we need to talk about that since David's already talked about, you know, of course, Willie's speech. Um, that third quarter, I mean, we were all left, left scratching our heads, right? Mm-hmm. Things weren't going the way. Uh, Ty Lue started that second half with uh, Robert Covington, small ball lineup, and Willie Green didn't adjust very well. And when he went to go small, he went to a guy that's seldom played, right, since the trade. I mean, I know Tony Snell was – in the rotation initially, but once he started playing poorly, Trey started playing better, we haven't really seen him at all. So to go to him just shocked me. And then, of course, next to him, you bring in Najee, who's really not going to help you space the floor. And so it was just a little bit puzzling, right? But eventually they figured it out, and he rode the guys that worked or worked together to the finish line. That's the biggest key. Trey Murphy came in with four minutes left in the third quarter, never got another rest. B.I., um, I know he just got maybe a minute or so in the fourth, but Larry Nance played that entire fourth quarter, uh, and, and the rest of the guys, too. Only Valanciunas, I think, played 17 seconds. Otherwise, it was just mainly six guys, and, you know, they found a good rhythm. They were able to slow down the Clippers defensively, right? You needed to run them off that three-point line or at least make it difficult. And, of course, take care of your business on the glass and get some easy buckets, and that's what they did. Now, Kevin, the closest parallel I can find to this game in Pelicans history uh, off the top of my head is the 2015 game against the San Antonio Spurs. That was a five-point victory that propelled them into the playoffs. Drew Holiday and Ryan Anderson off the bench. Quincy Pondexter, uh, Asha Gordon, Tyreek Anthony Davis. Kawhi played 38 minutes, Tim Duncan. Uh, Where does this rank in terms of just those two? Was this a better victory, if you remember that one well? I mean, I do remember that one well. It was... uh... It was another game where we started off pretty hot and then faded. Like I remember, Tyreek was had like an incredible first half, and then I think did he, he got hurt right, and he like left for a little bit and then came back. Um, but um, I mean, I think it was different in the sense that um, you, I was at that game, right? That was a game that we saw in person, so obviously that one was more invigorating. I think because you're there, you're in the moment. Although the one that uh, happened here against the Spurs the other night was also magical like that too. Um, But this game, obviously with everything that the team's gone through, uh, like you said already about, you know, missing its, its supposed face of the franchise going into the season uh, for the entire year and um, all the other adversity and changes and, uh, you know, seemingly bad trades that happened to start the season. Everything sort of corrected itself and uh, built a bunch of momentum uh, going into the into this game. So it was very exciting, obviously. And I guess I feel, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say because you feel like 
this all the time when you're winning, right? You feel like, okay, now this team is in the great spot that, that it started something and we're going to keep building from here. And not always does it work. This time it feels really like it is building to something because you have BI under contract for a while. You have uh, CJ under contract for a while. You have guys like Herb, um, Valanchunas, Jose, Trey, all these guys are, are under contract. Nance has another year. Um, so you have all of these key parts that just seem to love them with each other, playing together. And then, you know, obviously you're either going to add Zion or turn them into something else if, if you know, that plays out in a different way. Um, so you feel like there's something special there. And I think winning this year was very important uh, to sort of winning over Zion into uh, sticking around here. And so we accomplished that goal even though it looked desolate from the beginning. So I, I do think it, I, I guess, I don't know. They're both great. And I guess in hindsight, that one is, is dampened because of how it all worked out, but we still have the hope and the mystery of what's going forward on this one. So I'm still riding high on that one and have a lot of faith that this is more of a, like a long-term solution, like that I've been asking for forever, like, to be like a team like Portland or like Memphis that is just constantly always in the conversation and always in the playoffs. Um, and I feel like we're starting to build that foundation here. Yeah, especially with Zion coming back in a top 10 pick. Uh, Grub, we briefly touched upon uh, some of the contributions of our role players like Trey Murphy, the rookie, Larry Nance Jr., who obviously hasn't been with the ball club that long, uh, and the effect the two of them made. Talk about how those two in the lineup over the final 16 minutes just changed everything for the Pelicans. Well, I mean, you saw Nance in the first half in a very short amount of time have a big impact. I almost had a double-double mm-hmm. in the first half. Um, and 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 even before the game, and a lot of us, you know, me, Fish, Kevin, had all at one point or the other pointed to this matchup in particular as something that Larry Nance um, was very favorable for him because the Clippers are a team that switches – you know, uh, switches defensively, consistently, um, offensively. A lot of their parts look the same, uh, and and the 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 way you beat the Clippers is in those spaces, in the gaps, um, because of those uh, of the way that they play defensively. And Larry Nance is perfect for for that. That's how he got those offensive putbacks. You know, he missed a couple of putback dunks, but he's able to get in those spots because he understands, you know, how to navigate in those areas. And that's something that Jackson Hayes isn't great at. That's something Jonas. Valanchunas isn't great at. Nance is the only one on the roster who is capable of doing those things. And he's also a shot blocker. He's also able to handle the ball in transition. And he's also able to create steals in a one-on-one situation. So you saw all of those things on the offensive glass, on the defensive glass. And as a defender, him cleaning up plays, a versatility that no one else on that, that roster in the front court can match. So I thought it was a fantastic thing for him. And then certainly Trey comes in with his length again um, and starts defensively gets out in transition and hits big shots and isn't afraid to take big shots. And it's, it's, you know, and, and fish pointed out really well though, you know, even his misses, they were with an aggressive nature. They weren't passive. He was in the moment. The shots were within the rhythm of the game. So I think the two of them added so much because of their activity, which I thought Mm -hmm. is also something in, in how you have to play against the Clippers I said active offensively, active and, you know, defensively, both of those things they were. And I thought that that's how they changed the tempo of the game for the Pelicans because it wasn't about trying to outrun L.A., but you have to outcompete them on both ends. And that's what the Pelicans did in the fourth, and those guys were the spark plugs for that.
Yeah, I think Nance made them so much smarter defensively as well uh, and and made them so much more versatile. But one thing I want to bring up, Ali, and you'll know the exact uh, time this happened better than I will. I think it was early in the fourth quarter. Uh, got it into either six or three points. I don't remember specifically. Uh, Trey Murphy uh, out of the three-point line, guy closing in on him, no hesitation whatsoever, let it fly, it dropped. Um, and that really got uh, got the Pelicans back into it at that point. What does it say to you that a 17th, overall pick who's kind of in and out of the lineup really wasn't heavily featured through the first like four or five months of the season takes that shot in that situation. Well, the biggest thing for me is he wasn't afraid of the moment because he had been playing well, right? Since he got into the lineup, what was it? Second week of March. I want to say he's been pretty steady, right? He's given you the offensive rebounds. He's given you the shooting. I mean, he shot what about 47, 48% from three um, to close out the season. Once he got back into rotation, so you knew what you were getting, but would that carry over right to these big games? And boy, I don't think anybody needs to ask that question anymore because he's, he was just as important really as anybody, right? Whether it's B.I.'s big 30 points, Larry's huge game. If you don't have one of those three things, which I'm also including Trey Murphy's, right? Last 14 minutes, Pelicans easily don't win this game. I mean, it wouldn't even have been a contest, I don't think. Having said that, I'm glad that Grubb talked about, you know, the impact, especially defensively, because there were times with Trey where he wasn't earning a box score stat. I remember him trying to fly in for a couple offensive rebounds. But the fact that he flew in there, jumped through a couple of clippers, and yet it was out on them, it kept the possession alive. So it didn't count as a rebound for him, but like I said, it continued the Pelicans' possession. We saw stuff like that. Like going back to even in the third quarter, you know, things started to settle down, I want to say, over the last three, four minutes where at least they started scoring again, right? But I saw Herb Jones still competing defensively. He got that block. I forget who he blocked on the three-point line. But that was like one of those moments we've seen every game. But, boy, I, I just was it laughing. It was the two of them. Because remember, for like Wait, first, it, Trey, first Trey tipped it. And then the guy regrouped. And then Herb blocked it. And it was like they, they had done something yes. together. It was, really, it was a fantastic sequence. Right, but yeah, that, but that's when the Pelicans, of course, were still like hanging, you know, mm-hmm. it seemed like on the limb, right? Yep. But you still saw that effort, and that's why I wanted to bring that up, because David, you're absolutely right. If that effort wasn't there in that third quarter, think about how much bigger that lead probably would have gone for the Clippers. So it's easy to highlight the big games of B.I. or Trace 14 minutes, but you got to go back to even more than that. And again, we go back to the same thing. It's the rookies. They've been so incredible and so productive. At Willie Green has to play the minutes. I think that's why we were just floored, right? No Jose, no Trey. When things were going awry in the third quarter, he seemed to shuffle through everybody else first. But I don't think he's going to make that mistake again, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, going forward, I don't think Trey's going to be afraid of the moment. Maybe he will. Maybe in his first few minutes, just like any rookie probably would, first actual game in the playoffs. But I think he's going to be just fine. And Kevin, as we approach the playoffs, I don't want to dive into the preview just yet. I'll, I'll get that on the on the next turn. But Willie Green is still flirting with like a 10, 11, sometimes even a 12-man rotation. And if you really want to be productive in the playoffs, you really have to get that to eight, maybe nine. Uh, do you think Willie Green finally makes that tough call on some of these veterans that have been getting minutes? Those those go uh, full-time to those younger players, those Jose Alvarados, those Trey Murphys, Larry Nance, uh, and even Najee Marshall to an extent. Sorry, you picked the worst time to come to me. There's some really loud car driving by. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, so, I mean, the thing is, is, like, we were talking about Willie Green's motivational speech to his players. Somebody needs to give him a fucking motivational speech to figure out his rotations. I mean, it's been so <laughs> frustrating over 
you know, it's so clear that Jose is outperforming Devante. He's finally, I think he's finally glued Devante to the seat. And I don't want to shit on Devante because he's a great guy. It just hasn't worked out. It's, it hasn't worked out here at all. And you have a guy that's outplaying him by a mile and was having trouble get on the get on the court. And now he's finally sort of figuring that out, even though against the Spurs, he brought Devontae back in before bringing Jose back in. Uh, again, against, uh, against uh, the Clippers, he brought Devontae out first before uh, putting Jose in. But eventually he just, you know, kept Devontae down at the end of the bench and let Jose get all those minutes. But, you know, that's the frustrating thing. And then, like, going to Snell and things like that. When you have these young guys that have proven time and time again that they're going to save you and they are the future of this team and that they're some of the smartest players on this team, I don't understand why they aren't getting those minutes. And and it's frustrating, like, you know, because all – like, I'm I'm a huge supporter of Willie Green. Like, I think he's perfect for this team. I called him the third porch the other day. You know, we went from – Alvin Gentry, who was too warm, to Stan Van Gundy, who was too cold, and now you have Willie Green that's just perfect for this team in terms of personality and them buying in and enjoying the the situation that they're in. Uh, But he's a rookie head coach, and he's going to struggle. And we all said at the beginning of the season that it was kind of an unfair position for him to be thrown into uh, because this was a year that was sort of deemed important to make the playoffs because of it being Zion's third year and um, the momentum of what he had developed the year before being an all-star, having Brandon Ingram as an all-star, all of those things. And then obviously the Zion injury threw everything askew. Um, So we have to try to find patience for him to learn on the job, but it has been frustrating because you'll, you can go into Chris's spaces and for four weeks, people are saying this needs to happen. And then finally that thing happens and that thing works. And uh, it's just taken them a long time to adapt. So while I hope that what we saw in the fourth quarter is what we see going forward, where the rotation is cut shorter and these young guys who are performing and are some of your smartest basketball players on the team are getting the minutes, I need to see it before I, you know, like I'm still worried that we're going to see Devontae Graham come out there. I'm going to, I'm worried that we're going to see Tony Snell, us Tony Snell get minutes. I'm going to worry that we're going to see Jonas playing too long when he needs to not be out there because of the matchup, not because he's a bad player, just because it's the matchup. Um, you know, I need to see him uh, really figure out these rotations till I'm like comfortable and knowing that he'll, he'll have that going every game. And, and, you know, in fair, fairness to him, it's his first time and you expect those kind of things. It's just, uh, I don't know what, he, I mean, obviously he sees what Jose is doing. So why did Jose lose a bunch of minutes leading up to the end of the season and Devontae's out there getting us killed? Um, it's just, it just makes no sense. I can't fathom how he comes to some of these decisions he makes, but hopefully this taught him a big lesson because if he wouldn't have fixed the rotations, we would have lost that game and by a lot. Now, Grub, I'd love your perspective on this before we get to the the Suns matchup. Obviously, as an onlooker who has no direct attachment to the team in any respect or form, uh, it's very easy for us to look through this magnifying glass and go, oh, one guy's playing better than the other guy. One guy's younger and he's got uh, more potential or upside. He's more consistent. The other guy, uh, well, Devontae Graham's not old, so we can throw that out. But the point is... Willie Green has to manage these personalities. Devontae Graham probably carries some uh, leadership 
aspect to not just to the locker room, but also to the floor. And the guys look to that. And when they see that kind of guy sitting, it can have some kind of effect. So how difficult is it as a head coach to to manage the different personalities of the locker room and still get everybody bought in every day? Yeah, I think that's the part that Willie has to get to. The reason that pop can be pop is that, you know, we, they talk about Greg Popovich being this great, the greatest head coach of all time is because he figured that out, that even there, guys, you're not going to get minutes. And that guy's got to be okay with it. And you have to be able to have that conversation with him man to man and know that, hey, look, this isn't about me and you as a, as people, but this is what I'm doing here. You know, I'm trying to win basketball games, and this isn't about your feelings. If we were playing in bitty ball or we were playing in, in junior high, maybe we'd have something to talk about. But this is business. And I think that's the part that Willie has to get to because he's still a young man, you know, relatively speaking. These are almost his peers. These are these are guys who, are, who could be his little brothers in some extent. And there's a, a line that you eventually have to create as a boss in any level. And I think that it's something to, to learn when you finally get to be in those positions is I can have a great relationship with an employee, which is that what this is in this situation. And I'm not trying to be cold. I can have a great position uh, relationship with them, but I have to be honest with them all the time and have to do what's best for the group. And, and I think that that's Willie's trying to see the best out of every guy. And he doesn't want to lose a guy. And I think he also trusts them enough to say, okay, I think Tony can help me because Tony can do this. You know, I've seen him do this before, but he's also got to trust his, the consistency of what he's seen too. And, and, and that just takes time. And I think like Kevin said, it's, it's, you understand it going in. I think fans have to understand that too, that this is, you're trying to balance a lot because you don't know if you're going to lose a guy later. You don't know if, if you may need him um, in, a, in a different game. And I think that's what Willie's trying to plan for too, is that he doesn't know who's not going to be there next year. So he's, he's doesn't want to lose someone prematurely. The only thing I say real quick, against that is like i understand that argument totally oh, that's... in a sense but at the same time you also have to explain to jose why he's not getting on the court when the impact that he's making is so clear he brings oh, all that you look at the advanced stats i'm know, just saying you, you know what it's like as a in any boss anytime right it, it's it's a weird place to be in when you're first learning how to be that guy because i mean you you've never had to have those conversations and it's still it's just difficult it's a difficult thing and it's a learn. And this is a higher stakes situation than, you know, than most. I'll be honest. I just want to add one more thing is if I'm Willie, you already look at your team and you know, you need more three point shooting, right? Especially with BI. I mean, he, his three point shots has completely abandoned him to where he's not even looking for the shots now from beyond the arc. So I could see why he's maybe try or was trying to, Anyways, down the stretch, Kevin, when you mentioned the regular season, why Jose wasn't getting more minutes, because I agree with you. It was probably to get Devontae going, because he's a guy who is a streaky player over the course of his career. So if you could catch a hot streak, I think that would have been worth it for him. But, you know, there's only so much you can do to keep throwing him out there. So I'm with you where you are, but I'm just trying to also understand where probably Willie Green's mind was as David, you know, basically explained the rest of it. Yeah, perfect. I think that sums it up pretty well. Uh, Ali, it's time to move towards this Phoenix uh, Pelican series. Obviously, on paper, the Suns are a juggernaut in every bit. I would think the title favorite. I would put them ahead of Milwaukee, just in, in, in my opinion at this point. 
However, uh, nobody's going to give the Pelicans a, a chance at this. I'd imagine most people, even even uh, locals uh, to New Orleans, would probably say this is probably going to be a sweep, maybe a gentleman's sweep. However, since February 1st, the uh, Phoenix Suns are 10th in offense, 3rd in defense. However, the Pelicans aren't far behind. They're 8th in offense, 10th in defense. And that is, of course, before they even added uh, CJ and Larry Nance Jr. to the mix and, and some of these younger guys started getting minutes. Uh, that's, that's just uh, dating back the past two, two and a half months, Ali. What kind of mm-hmm. shot do you give the Pelicans in this series? That's what I'm still trying to figure out because I'm going to be writing a preview and I've been doing a lot of research uh, today and looking at it. And I'll tell you what, I'm intrigued because I like a lot of these matchups on paper. I also like what the Pelicans did against them as a whole this year. I know they won just one out of four games, but if you guys can recall the first two matchups, one was in November when, of course, they started off terribly. But in that game, they had a 14-point lead with, I want to say, a couple of minutes in the third quarter to go, and they just completely fell apart in that fourth, kind of like we saw happen last year. Same thing, second game. Pelicans were within two about midway through the fourth, and then Chris Paul had one of his games, right, where he was absolutely, you know, majestic, right? He looked like a composer out there and dictating the, the pace and where the offense was going to go to a T to where it just dissected the Pels. But now – you know, they've had that one big win coming out of the All-Star break, and I know, of course, then they got kind of beaten up without Chris Paul in their last matchup. But overall, I like, like I said, how they match up because they've got bodies that they can throw on a lot of these guys. Like, for instance, Herb Jones, you know he's going to get Devin Booker. Chris Paul, while C.J. McCollum isn't renowned as a defender, he can be okay, right? He can hold his own, especially in the moments of the game where you know Chris Paul's not going to be that aggressive. Because he's not a guy who looks for a shot for the full 48 minutes. It's only when he feels like he needs to, right? Get the team out of some kind of mini offensive slump or, of course, down the stretch of a game. And in those moments, maybe you could have Jose Alvarado stick with him, right? Um, the biggest worry for me is DeAndre Ayton because Cameron Johnson, you can throw, go ahead and throw Trey Murphy on him. Brandon Ingram should be able to handle, right? Mikhail Bridges enough. And of course, whoever's on Jay Crowder, whether that's Larry Nance, Jackson Hayes will probably still continue to start, but that would be one area I would ponder, which I want to get to later. But if Willie Green and say they get off to a slow start in the series where they get blown out or something to that effect, I wouldn't mind seeing that uh, starting lineup get shaken up with Jackson getting removed if he continues basically being invisible in games. But yeah, Preston, just to answer your question, I like it to where I think I want to say the Pelicans will probably win two games in this series. At the moment, I haven't looked in depth enough, and I, I, I'm hoping there's not any kind of homerism or any kind of bias, but I really believe if they play to their potential, keep it together, right, and, and some of these bigger wins we've seen since the All-Star break, then I don't see why they couldn't win a couple. I want to get your take too, Kevin, but uh, Ali glossed over something that really has me concerned, and I think that Brandon Ingram is so pivotal to what the Pelicans do offensively. Um, he really gets them going, and he bails them out of uh, some tight situations, and Mikhail Bridges is is probably going to be a difficult matchup for him. And you're somebody who's been high on Bridges even before he was drafted into the league. What do you think about Bridges matched up on B.I. and how successful can B.I. be against him? Um, you know, Bridges is one of my favorite players. So, you know, he has that length, that crazy wingspan, uh, and he's he's got enough athleticism to stay in front of quick guys, and he's big enough and strong enough to handle uh, strong guys. Uh, so... I think it's going to be obviously a tough, tough matchup for um, for Bi, but Bi is long and rangy, and he could rise up a, 
of a lot of people and the way he's been playing lately, he's just in a zone. So I, it's going to be an interesting matchup to watch. I mean, I think BI is going to have to work hard to get his shots, but I think he'll still get his shots just because he's becoming that, that really elite scorer from the mid range and, and around the rim. Um, the only thing that I was going to say about what Ollie said in terms of matchups is if, if I was Willie green, I think I would, put Herb Jones on Chris Paul just because I've seen a history of Chris Paul's struggle against bigger defenders. Uh, you know, that's the only guys that really have ever given him trouble in his career. So if you could shut down Chris Paul or make it hard for him to facilitate or create kind of create some turnovers from him that way, I think I would maybe try that. Now you have to kind of decide who goes on Booker. And I think when Jose's in the game, you could put him on Booker, but um, you know, I don't know in that starting lineup, what you do that way. I mean, you could always try to hide Jackson on uh, Mikhail Bridges because he's not really looking to score. I mean, he's, he's a capable scorer um, and put BI on, on Ingram and try to use his size on there. But I, I think I would try Herb on Chris Paul to start. Wow. I, I look at I it the other way too. I yeah. thought about that. Kevin. No, sorry. I just want to say, Kevin, I would love that. I would love to see it because I agree with you hundred percent. The only thing is there's nobody else. If Josh Hart was still in the New Orleans Pelicans uniform, he could do it. But because he's not and he can't turn to somebody else, unless he makes some crazy change to uh, allow for that to happen with the starting lineup, I, mean, I just don't see it. Yeah, if you put Trey in the starting lineup, perhaps, you know. Um, but, I mean, what what do you think about Ingram guarding uh, Booker? Are you just I don't want to see it. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I mean, he's going to have to work too much offensively because of uh, – because of Bridges guarding him, that it, you, you don't want to take all that energy away from him either. I'll make him defend somebody like like Booker, but I'm just trying to. Yeah. I would just love yeah. to see her as Paul to just disrupt their offense from the get go. I, I Where see I've this. Bi get- struggle defensively this year, Kev, is honestly with players making moves on him on him. Right, starting from the perimeter. If he has to deal with somebody closer to the lane, he's just used his length and he's done a really good job this year. So that's why I don't want to see him on Booker because we know where Booker starts his offense and what he can do right off the bounce and mm-hmm. such. And you've already mentioned to that energy drain that would be on B.I. stamina. Yeah, I, so I, I just don't see it. Who else you could shift, but maybe it, maybe it is that start Najee or start Trey Murphy and put Jackson mm-hmm. to the bench because, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I know I'm more of a Jackson critic than than you, uh, you and Preston maybe, but – he hasn't played with playoff intensity. He hasn't chased loose balls. He hasn't fought 100%. So, I mean, I don't think he's earned that starting job, and he's not really being dynamic on offense either. So I would be fine with shaking up that for the matchup purposes. I, I want Grub to weigh in on this because I see it a little bit differently. I think if you put Herb on uh, on Chris Paul, Chris Paul is so savvy, he'll recognize that the team's best wing defender is is isolated on him, and suddenly you open the floor for everybody else, and, and you've got matchup advantages. I, I think CJ is such a smart player. You put him on Paul and leave Herb on on Devin Booker because if you can erase you know, their team's best score, I think you got to do that, Grub. What, what's your take on that? Well, I'm going to say this. I'm not going to address anything that any of you said because I'm going to say I'm going to make it a lot – simpler um i give the pelicans you know a puncher's chance because i think they will compete every game and but ultimately it comes down to this everything that the pelicans do well the suns do it better because they are more experienced more cohesive they have their rotation together their coach understands all of the the situations because he's been in all those situations 
that's not necessarily, you know, um, that's not an insult to the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, right. it, it is. It just, it's the reflection. And I think that's the perfect reason I like them playing the Suns in this series, because this will be a lesson. Now, you know, I think that, like I said, a puncher's chance. I could see this series going five or even six. But the main thing to me is I think all these games will be close. And the thing that will separate is that that those that one other rotation, the the ability to draw a foul at a certain time, the things that come with knowing all the guys on the roster and what they can do and knowing when to make those subs. Just that 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 slight difference between learning to win and already knowing how to win. And I think that's what this series is about for this season, for this group. Does it carry over? I cannot say. We, you know, there's a lot to happen in an offseason. But for this group right now, for some of these individual players, the lesson here will be in those things about timing and execution and when to cut and when to, you know, not to do things. I think that's ultimately what this series becomes about. Um, Hopefully the Pelicans evolve into what the Suns have become. That type of consistent presence where you know these eight or nine guys every night are going to do what they do. And they complement each other in skill set, in attitude, in responsibility. The Pelicans still have blind spots with each other because they are growing as a unit. So I think that's ultimately what this series is about. And there will be changes and and all those things, all the adjustments that we'll talk about. At some point, I would imagine all of the things we're saying are going to happen. But ultimately, this is about a more experienced and slightly more talented and slightly more mature, um, you know, staff and team against a younger team. And and that's what I see. And when Grubb talks about this team being so cohesive, Ali, I want to read off a couple of statistics. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm so sorry. I think it's Jay Diffenbach of NBA.com reporting on the Phoenix Suns. Uh, everybody knows how good Chris Paul teams are in the clutch, but here are just a couple of really, really scary numbers. Uh, obviously, first in the NBA with a record of 27 and six in clutch time minutes, first in offensive efficiency, 128.8, which is nine points better than uh, the closest competitor, first in defensive efficiency, 98.6. That's I think uh, six points better than the the closest team. First in net rating, 15.1 higher than the second place team. It just goes on and on and on. Really, really scary stuff, Ali. The the Pelicans can can get close and they can play this team tough. But when it gets to the end, these Chris Paul teams, they're they're just unbeatable in the final five minutes. What would you like to see from the Pelicans in the five uh, in the final five minutes that could give them a legitimate shot of somehow pulling off a game or two? <laughs> I feel like somebody just turned on the bat signal for Zion. I mean, that that would help probably more than anything else in the world, right? Throwing in Zion Williamson, such a potent score, such a a paint destroyer. He would completely tilt the balance on what suddenly Monty Williams has to contend with defensively. But, you know, that's probably going against hope. It's been really quiet. I don't expect Zion to play. It just seems like where we were, say, even a month ago, hoping just to make it the first round, there'd maybe be a decent chance. I just don't know. He's He's been going in five on five, but not like real five on five action, right? Not not to where it's just basically the next step is appearing in the game. And you look at his conditioning. I just don't think it's there. So I, I have to nip this in the bud and say, I just don't expect to see Zion return for this series, unfortunately. So that said, to be a Chris Paul led team, what you've got to do, there's the only thing you can do, right? Is either disrupt the Phoenix Suns somehow 
when they're on offense, right? And by that, what that entails is you would have to know their plays, what they're thinking, and that means, of course, getting your film work in, right? So Herb Jones, uh, CJ McCollum, anybody that's expected to be in the last five minutes of games, well, I hope you're doing your homework because that's what it's going to take to where you can kind of figure out some tendencies and maybe then you can shoot a gap, come up with a steal, or at least not find yourself out of position where you're going to make it more difficult for them. And offensively, you, you, you've got to be flawless. You've got to execute in the exact same manner as Phoenix is likely to do. That means no turnovers. That means getting good shots. That means Can't aiming, speaking actually. What was that? Can't miss free throws. Oh, yeah. Thank you, David. I was going to get to that. I almost <laughs> had a heart attack in yesterday's <clears throat> game because of all those missed free throws, man. Making such a comeback and you guys can't make them. But anyways, yeah, you're right. You can't miss them. Unfortunately, the Pels have been good for most of the year, right? They've hovered close to, I know it's been just under, but close to 80%. One of the better teams, but Phoenix, it's got to be even better than that. Kevin, the only weaknesses I can see in, uh, or the only chinks in the Phoenix Suns armor I can see is they foul a lot. Uh, opponents get to the foul line 24 times a game. That's uh, almost bottom five in the NBA. And they're also really bad offensively in the second quarter. So if the Pelicans are going to make any kind of run, it's going to have to be in the second quarter, and they're going to have to get to the foul line. What about this uh, Pelicans team makes you think they can take advantage of that? Well, I mean, probably the second quarter thing probably has a lot to do is that's when Chris Paul gets most of his rest. Um, So, again, that's one of the reasons I like putting Herb on him to try to disrupt him as much as possible and shut, you know, make them work harder for uh, to create their offense. But um, I think if you can get Aiton in foul trouble and then you could start owning the glass, uh, that would be very helpful. Um, We've had a lot of trouble rebounding. Uh, we used to seem like we rebounded really well for a while, but uh, lately it's been a little bit tough with the starting lineup. Um, so hopefully Jonas can start owning the glass. And if he can, if, if he can provide you some offense inside and, and create those fouls uh, and having people come, have to come over and help and then kick out to shooters. And if we can finally make some outside shots, then uh, I think that's the best, that's the best way to do that is to kind of try to, try to shut down, like make it harder for Chris Ball to make passes and initiate offense and then uh, try to take Aiton out of the game, I think is the two biggest things. And a really important matchup that he just mentioned, DeAndre Aiden, obviously he's got such great chemistry with Chris Paul. Uh, you've got Jonas Valanciunas down there, uh, Grub. You also need somebody to disrupt Chris Paul so that he can't uh, get Aiton into those advantageous positions. What do you see that, that – uh, low post battle between the two of them and who holds that advantage. I think the Suns have the advantage because, um, you know, the, the pick and roll is not something that the Pelicans are great at defending. Um, they, 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 they're going to do drop. Um, Jackson still is not a good weak side defender in that regard. Um, so I think that the, the Pelicans are going to struggle in the front court. The best thing for them is you know whenever Jonas is on the floor, you have to be able to utilize him offensively um, because you're going to get attacked defensively uh, when he's on the floor. So if they're not able to get him to, to to at least hold his own on the other end of the floor, I think it becomes hard to give him more than 25 minutes a night in a series. It's just going to be really difficult um, for a matchup, and their backup bigs are athletic as well. So it's just it's it's. This is a difficult matchup for the Pelicans up and down the roster. You know, you know the Pelicans have played bigger again than their parts, 
um, for the most part this season. Um, but I just think that the, the best player in the series is still probably Devin Booker. Um, Chris Paul is the most experienced player in this series. And then that, like you said, that front court matchup to me is just, it's, it's the one where the Pelicans have the biggest gap. I think they can make up close some of the gaps in the backcourt and on the wing, mm-hmm. but I think at the front court, that's the biggest gap. Uh, Ali, I, I want to do a follow-up on that. Obviously, Larry Nance Jr. Uh, has been so impressive as of late, and like you said earlier, Jackson Hayes has been struggling, Jonas Valanciunas. Maybe there's a situation where uh, Nance is closing in his place. Do you see uh, a situation where Larry Nance Jr. earns that starting nod over Jackson Hayes, or do you see him closing as a small ball five against Aiton? I think there's a much better chance of seeing him closing. I'm not sure if I'm Willie. I want to put him in the starting lineup because then who are you trusting off the bench, right? I mean, Valanciunas can probably hold his own against Aiton. This is a much better matchup for him than maybe against some other teams. And if you start Nance, then you have to go to, right, to either Jackson, who we've seen JaVale McGee honestly turn him into dust in several of these games, or Billy Hernan Gomez, who's not going to be be able to keep up with JaVale or the speed that the Phoenix plays with. So, no, I wouldn't mess. I wouldn't go that route. I think if you're going to start somebody, it's what Kevin and I talked about. Go to Trey, maybe Najee. Um, I don't know, maybe somebody else, but definitely not Larry. But as for closing, yeah, I, I like how Willie can close to where I think he could be able to take advantage of some of the matchups. Um, provided you can handle the glass because Aiton's a beast. He's so underrated. You know, everybody talks about Chris Paul, Devin, and then the next guy that gets love is always Mikael Bridges. But for me, it's easily Aiton. He might be even their second best player in half the games, especially if he gets the touches. So that's the guy I'm going to be worried about the most. And that's why Valanciunas, to me, might be the key to this series. He's got to play well offensively to where he's going to force Aiton to basically guard him and not sit in that paint, right? And then defensively, Valanciunas has to do a good job of keeping the pain under control, but making sure he sticks with Aiton. So, yeah, I'm all eyes on JV for me in this series. All right, nice. Uh, well, I'll, I'll touch on that later. Uh, I, I had an idea, but maybe it's something that they could experiment with in the second and third quarters. Uh, basically, you you wanted the Pelicans let's, A+. Plus. Sorry, go ahead. I was just thinking, let's, let's see game one, because I think, you know. Yes. Game one yeah. is is just the Pelicans are coming off of these this one night of rest. The Suns have been sitting here waiting for this. So I think, you know, game one, let's see how that plays out. And I think we'll all have a much better basis to say, okay, this is – now it's now people are making adjustments. Uh, you know, Kevin and I were kind of talking about that before we started. It's just even with today's games, you know, in game ones, I was like, I don't, I don't put a whole bunch of stock in anything that I saw today because – most teams still have to make their adjustment. They got to figure this out again. So let me see what happens after game one. All right, great. Uh, Before we, we're not going to get into any more analysis until we see game one, but just uh, speaking about Jose Alvarado earlier, and obviously we said uh, he's kind of usurped Graham uh, quite obviously in that regard, but Kevin talk about, we've got one of our questions. It's about his ceiling. Uh, what do you see as Jose Alvarado's ceiling? Is what we're seeing of him the best that he's going to be, or do you think he still has room to grow? I mean, I think he still has room to grow. I I think he's a guy that can develop that shot a little bit more. And, you know, if he has that uh, a three-point shot a little bit more respectable, then he becomes a really, really really valuable player because he already does so many things. But if he can provide a little bit of spacing, or even if he doesn't provide spacing, but – 
he's a consistent knockdown guy on a wide open shot when you kick it out to him. Um, that that becomes, uh, you know, that just takes him up a whole nother level. And, you know, that's something that guys develop and keep working on and working on. And we have, you know, a shot doctor here. So hopefully um, that can that can work out for him. But other than that, I mean, you really can't ask him to do much more. I mean, he rebounds, he, he steals balls, he blocks shots, he, he drives in the paint, he finishes around the rim. Uh, he fights over screens. You know what? What else can he really grow? I mean, he can't. He can't grow in stature. He can't gain um, athletic ability. Um, so it's really just about shooting and uh, maybe even improving his his free throw shooting as well. Um, but um, those. I mean, he's got a great floater already. So uh, I think you know his, his ceiling is is going up to maybe a 36 percent three point shooter. And, you know, maybe like 40% on wide open catch and shoot shots, you know, something like that. He doesn't have to become like this guy that's super scary three point wise, but if he can just elevate that a little bit, then he'd become a really dynamic player for this team. Uh, we've got another question that says, do you see the Pelicans matching up better with Phoenix than uh, Memphis or Golden State? I'm going to give that a hard no. I would much rather see one of those other two teams. Does anyone disagree? I mean, like I said, I like the matchup just because I think of ultimately it serves them better. That's why I, that, that's my thought. Oh, I, I see. Mean, I don't think that they would win a series with Memphis. You know what I mean? I just, I just don't think they would. Memphis is is the same nightmare. Memphis is 10 guys who all know what the hell they're supposed to do all the time. And, you know, I, I think it's just other teams have more. They just do. And that doesn't mean you can't enjoy what the Pelicans are doing right now. But I think ultimately the matchup that serves them the best, sometimes you need to get your ass whooped by a real veteran team. And I'm not talking about the Pelicans are going to get blown out in this series, but I'm just saying you need to get worked and you need to see what it takes to win a series and and to go and, and figure this stuff out. And that's what these guys are getting the opportunity to do. And I think they would, they're going to learn more from this than they will playing against gold than they would against playing against Golden State again. They've seen enough Golden State. They've seen enough of that. That's not who they are. They are much closer to, to in identity and in feel to Phoenix than they are in any of those other teams. So why not look in the mirror and go and do shadow boxing for five or six games? Nice. So we've got another offseason uh, question on French moves to improve. I appreciate these questions so much. And believe me, I am just as excited about them as you are. But just while we still have playoff basketball in front of us, it's it's been four years and it, it, it's such a rare and exciting opportunity. I just want to focus on the games. And then once we're out of the playoffs, I promise you, we will dive on in uh, and, and give you analysis on every aspect of that. And I'm so excited to do it. I just want to wait a few more weeks and enjoy these games while we can. Uh, X Factor. Uh, I'm going to rule out CJ McCollum, uh, B.I., and Zion. Obviously, those are obvious candidates. But other than that, Ali, you touched on this earlier. I think it's the rookies. I think if the Pelicans have any chance in this series of winning one or two games, the guys who are really going to shine are going to have to be the rookies. Is is that what you're going with, Ali, as the potential X factor? Well, I had already said Valanciunas, but there's a lot of merit to your argument. A lot of guys are going to have to play above what their standard was this season, right? Their standard average which means what, like with Herb making maybe one three-pointer, um, giving you offensively maybe just a couple buckets in transition or on cuts. And then, of course, just go up and down the line outside of your three you know, scoring stars. Same thing applies to them as well. So, yeah, I could see that. But I, I'd lean more towards Pels are going to have to be able to space the floor a little more consistently, right? 
when you're going against the elite teams, you can't just rely on your bread and butter. You've got to be able to do damage from multiple areas. And if you're going to allow the Suns to pack the paint, right, because nobody in that starting lineup outside CJ can make you an outside shot, that's a problem. So, in effect, it all, I guess, boils down to one answer. A lot of people can be having the individuals going to have to be playing above their head, but also certain stats, right, certain areas. Pelicans got to a good start last, last night from three-point range, but that's been – such a rarity right guys i mean i can't recall where they've had maybe two or three games in a row especially since cj's been here where they've just been coming out of the gates right say in the first half six of 12 six of 15 from three point range that's that that hasn't happened but that's going to have to happen against phoenix all right kevin i'll wrap with this and we'll be a little bit petty how good did it feel to send both los angeles ball uh, ball clubs to cancun uh, it felt great. I mean, the, the Lakers one was just phenomenal. You couldn't ask for anything <laughs> better than that. Um, I mean, I don't hate the Clippers like I hate the Lakers. Their fans aren't trying to always trade for everybody's superstar or anything like that. You know, they're sort of an improvised uh, franchise for their history, too. So they're kind of like a small market team in a big market. Um, so I don't have the disdain for them. But, uh, you know, it's it's nice to just shit on that whole city, of course. Um but yeah, I mean, just Lakers fans are insufferable. The team's insufferable. And the funniest thing is they call other people poverty franchises where our owner could buy out their owner's business at any moment because she has way more money. Um, and it's just uh, it, it's just the hilarious thing that they have going on there. You have the Rambuses making decisions. Um, you know, the guy who's posting porn clips on Twitter is the guy that's uh, making your personnel decisions. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, it's, it's just a joke and it's really great and really satisfying to, to send them home and for that whole situation to be really a disaster. I mean, yes, it kind of worked out exactly like Grubb and I said before, uh, this was even before, uh, the Lakers had actually gotten, um, LeBron James, we were saying how we wouldn't break up that team they had in LA because I was actually enjoying that team a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate the Lakers and we're saying they probably will get a cheap championship out of it. And then it will just set them back for years. And they definitely got the cheapest version of a championship. We couldn't have even foreseen uh, like the bubble championship situation happening. Uh, and then now they just look destitute for years to come. So uh, you got to love it. Grub, did we miss anything? No, I just uh, I, it is interesting to me that yeah, Kevin and I we talked about this that LeBron is is, is Galactus, you know he <laughs> he consumes worlds and he's destroying another franchise, you know, and it's 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 in the pettiness again. I, I think Pelicans fans have gotten to the point where look, we did not bring the petty upon ourselves, so it in returning fire. I, I enjoy watching Pelicans fans have their opportunity to return fire because like you said, there's no shame in this, man. Why should you be ashamed that you're enjoying something? Like this is good to watch. It's good, entertaining basketball. And Pelicans fans have never asked anybody to love their team, but they just ask people not to fuck with them. Like, just don't mess with us. We're over here doing our thing. And I think that's more than anything to give New Orleans an opportunity to do its thing. And to have these fans love basketball in the way that they do and to celebrate it and to be proud of each other for saying we're not ashamed to love basketball 
And we're not going to tell you, you know, have the world tell us that we don't. You don't know here. And I think that's been as enjoyable as anything is to watch that because I, tr- you know, I just truly love basketball and to see the city living in that moment too and sharing that is great for me. Yeah. I would, one real quick thing is like, you know, for me, I think the, the three teams I hate the most are the Lakers, the Knicks, and the Celtics, right? I mean, because it's mainly about the fan bases and their mentality and the mainstream media's mentality when it comes to those teams. Like, all the small market teams owe those teams their players, that kind of stuff. And, you know, again, we're looking at the Lakers and the Knicks not even making the play-in tournament. And then Boston finally gets the two-seed, and now they have to go up against uh, – you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and how sweet it would be if they had the two seed and losing the first round to Kyrie Irving. Uh, it would just be like my birthday if, if that's how this first round plays out. Ollie, I'll, I'll ask this I'm one. I'm shocked. No, but I just real quick want to say, you guys talking about LeBron James, I'm shocked nobody brought up the fact that he sent out a tweet accolading Tyron Lue, such a great coach, early in the fourth quarter. And then after, right after that tweet, the Pelicans went on a 31 to 14 run. Come on, guys. <laughs> I'm sure Willie Green was just uh, giving that speech while he had the phone underneath his hand, showing it to all the players, and they were actually getting <laughs> motivated from from viewing that tweet. Uh, nice, uh, great work, and everybody, uh, Ali. Just before we go, uh, obviously, you've been covering the team for a long time, going back in the locker room between every game. Uh, what does it feel like to see the fan base bought in? Uh, quite, po- I, I'm not going to these games, so I don't know. But just from what I see uh, when I watch the basketball games, they're as bought in as ever, if not more. Uh, what is it like feeling this new atmosphere? So glad you brought it up because that's what I wanted to finish this on. It's been incredible. It seems like the Pelicans fan base has what grown by tenfold this season, at least to me. Not just on Twitter, but just um, on the street. I, I see the paraphernalia. I, I see people uh, got the flags out outside their homes. They've got all, all sorts of things that indicate they're New Orleans Pelicans fans. I've even talked to random people more so than I ever have about the team, and they don't know I'm a member of the team but or uh, covering the team, but they're talking about the Pelicans, right? Out of clear blue because somebody says something, and all of a sudden I join these conversations. That's never really happened before. So I'm loving all these watch parties all over town. I mean, remember when they used to be just like, say, one, and you would hope you could get maybe to fill up a place three quarters, I want to say, of the way. Now it's like multiple locations. Everything's packed and, and just the voices. Everybody, I feel like, probably even feels like their voice is being heard, right? I mean, I've liked so many tweets over the last 24, 48 hours from people I hadn't even, even heard of or followed before, but here I see they've got like four or 500 likes. That's incredible. That just shows to me, honestly, like I said, how – this community has really come together, but they're, they're also out there. They're trying to support the team, but also let their voices be heard, right? They want to have a say in everything. So it's fantastic. It feels like a real fan base as well. My long-winded answer is getting to, and that's something that I've never really felt before, but I feel like something's growing here legitimately, not only with the team, but also this community that I think is going to stick around. Now, do you think it's fair to say, Kevin, that I, I think what Ali's uh, implying and, and what I was uh, implying as well is, the fan base is better than ever. Yeah, I mean, first off, I want to talk to Ali about what kind of paraphernalia he's getting into. <laughs> but, um, what did I say? Uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, one thing too, is, 
<laughs> we got to give credit to the team as well. I mean, when I say the team, I mean the people that are in the marketing and all of that. You know, I've, we've all been hard on them for years about not really connecting with the community, but they're really reaching out and, and uh, trying to get um, the community involved. Uh, they're trying to bring in, you know, like I, how many times have I written about having a live DJ Jubilee dance cam? And that happens mm -hmm. in the first game. I was like, oh, my God, I've been asking for this for years. This is incredible. Um, getting local acts involved, uh, getting fans, fan led uh, things going on with the Pels 12, getting a section at that game, um, you know, them promoting the, the Pels 12 watch parties, having their own watch parties, um, bringing in a lot of local talent. Um, you know, you hear a lot more local music in the arena. Um, you really feel like they're they're making a real effort um, to improve on something that we've complained about for decades. And um, and so that's great. But also, you know, you got you love also these local businesses, uh, you know, giving support and providing venues for fans to uh, come in and watch and, and create in, in events and environments in their spaces that uh, really open up and bring everybody together. Uh, I, I was only able to go to one watch party so far and it was incredible, but I am going to go tomorrow night uh, to watch the game at mid city yacht club. So I'm really excited about that. I was at the Lakers win and that one was amazing. Uh, and then, um, you know, it, it's great because, you know, also our businesses have been suffering. We went, we've been through a lot. We've been through the pandemic. We're just coming out of that. And then Ida comes. So those places are struggling. So the idea of these small businesses coming together and these fans bringing a bunch of people in and it's all centered around this basketball team and everybody's benefiting from it. It's just a beautiful thing to see. Well, thanks, everybody. Uh, again, if you don't know, you can follow them at Kevin B for Bounce, at DM Grub, at Ali Cosell. Uh, shout out again to Pels 12 and and Impatient Bull, Chris Connor, uh, who just signed with Boot Crew Media. Want to give a major shout out to him. Uh, and we just want to thank all of you for your support. Uh, and we'll be back after hopefully game one, if not game one, after game two to recap them and preview uh, the games once they come back to the blender. But for now, let's go Pels. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today today's episode of the bird calls is brought to you by sports drink your digital water cooler sports drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports they're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team a rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in sportsdrink, spelled like sportsdrink but without the vowels. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let the funk out.